What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Layla Alamar. How are you, Layla? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, most definitely. It's an absolute pleasure. Where are we zooming in from? <laughs> uh, I'm currently in the northwest of England. Northwest of England. Okay. So just outside Manchester. Most definitely. Um, you're talking to someone who just finished season four of The Crown. So I'm all about <laughs> I'm all into, I'm all into <laughs> yeah. the UK right now. It's exactly like that. It's exactly like that. I just sit and have tea and crumpets all day. It seems to be the case, right? And just drive around in Rolls Royces and Bentleys. Um, yeah, I mean, that show, for people who don't know, I don't know if you've watched it. We don't have to talk about I it. I have. Oh, I mean, I, I loved have. It. I loved it. Um, <laughs> Did you watch it from the beginning, though? or season Episode one, season one. All the way through, huh? I, I I watched it an entire week, and oh yeah, and and what it did for me, and the reason I thought it really cemented its uh, you know, its place in the canon of great television shows, the fact that they were able to switch the entire cast in season three. No spoiler alerts, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I mean, pretty crazy. But uh, we're not here to talk about the Crown. We're here to talk about no. You. I mean, um, we could I, though if we wanted. <laughs> I'd be down to start a crown podcast. That could actually be kind of cool. Um, so let's start from you. While we were talking just a little bit before the podcast, um, I was incorrect in assuming where you were born. You were born in Texas, but raised in Kuwait, correct? Yeah, yeah. So my mom is from uh, South Texas, and uh, she met my dad when he was there doing his graduate work. Um, and so that's that's where they were married. And, and we lived there, I guess, for a couple of years I was born and then moved back to Kuwait, but I did all, all my schooling and, you know, all my growing up was done in Kuwait. And so what was that like? I mean, how old were you when you moved from Texas to Kuwait? I mean, did you have any idea of what was going on in your life at that point? I was only two when we moved back. Uh -huh. so I was still a baby and we, we went back to Texas every summer to see my mom's family and stuff but you know i mean kuwait is is kuwait it's it's just it's home so um i'm, I'm always I, I i don't really know how to answer questions like that because it's like you know how do you talk about the place you grew up well i mean it was it was normal i grew up there you know? um i mean yeah i grew up in northern new jersey and i can write a book about growing up there um yeah i, I grew up <laughs> i mean i grew up where they filmed the sopranos so like growing up to me that's kind of it really shaped who i was though i mean i moved to san francisco 10 years ago and i took that jersey dude all the way from jersey all the way to california and kind of kept it with me i mean growing up where you grew up i mean you know it must be a strong part of your identity it's obviously something you like to write about right I mean, you know, when you're talking about identity, uh, you know, that, that can open up a whole can of worms in terms of, you know, what do you mean and what kind of influences, you know, go into shaping your identity. And, you know, the fact that I have an American mother and a Kuwaiti father, um, you know, it, it means that that identity is kind of a hybrid by default because, you know, I felt at home in the States when we were there over the summer. And, you know, I can certainly understand American culture and, um, you know, pop culture references. And, you know, this is how I grew up as well. But Kuwait is, 
is very different. You know, it's a very conservative society. It's not, it's not conservative in the way people think when they think about Middle East conservatism, you know, and they, they automatically think that that means you're super religious and stuff, but um, there's, there's many different levels to that, I guess you can say back home. So it's, it's more socially conservative, I would say. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that does go into who I am as well to an extent, you know, sure. so there's, there is that kind of, you know, you think about America and you think about the freedom Eagle, you know, and it's very much the opposite of that, where it's, it's much more conservative and you kind of pull things in more, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I myself, I've been to the Middle East myself. Um, I've been to, I mean, Israel, I'm Jewish. Uh, I went mm-hmm. to Israel. Um, I popped into Jordan and I popped into Syria, but this was back in 2011, maybe right, Ooh. right before the right Arab before Spring. Right before the yeah, right right before things kicked off. Literally, I mean, I was there probably six months before. Um, but, you know, but me as a kid, you know, I grew up, you know, lower middle class. You know, the idea of hopping on a plane to Tel Aviv was never even a, a fucking a dream of mine until I was able to move <laughs> to California, and that's when I kind of started my travels. Uh, but you said you grew up, you, you were always going back and forth back to the states, also, right? Well, we went during summer vacation, so that was a good three months where we were with my mom's family. Uh-huh. In the yeah, and then, you know, obviously uh, during the war, Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990, and, and we ended up spending a year in Texas. But I've never actually lived in the States as an adult. I've done all my graduate work uh, in the UK. Okay, so if we can go back to that then, when did you really start writing? I mean, were you a kid when you started doing it? I mean, was it something that kind of came to you later in life? Oh, yeah. No, no. It was definitely I was a kid writing very bad poems about, like, foxes that live in boxes and frogs jumping (laughs) over logs. Like, that was me. Uh, (laughs) I remember actually, like, a little flip book I did when I was, like, six or seven about you know, like bath time and the bathtub was like some magical portal taking you somewhere else. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I've been a reader ever since I can remember. And, you know, when, when you're a big reader, it just kind of naturally lends itself to writing at some point, you know? So um, I definitely have been writing for a really, really long time. I, I viewed it more as a hobby when I was growing up rather than something that I could pursue in a serious way. I think it was only until I was about, cause you know, we don't, we didn't really have bookstores and book clubs in Kuwait when I was growing up. That wasn't really a thing. I think we had like one book store in the entire country. I mean, how were you, how were you um, getting so It wasn't until books? I was a teenager, I would say that, that I started to think, Oh, um, well on summer vacation, when I would come to the States, I would do the bulk of my shopping there <laughs> I would just come back with like suitcases full of books sure um and then and then online obviously when that became available mm-hmm. um and so what are you when you started taking a little bit more seriously what were you writing then were you doing short stories were you kind of looking towards more long-form fiction I was doing a lot of short stories when I was a teenager and obviously writing very bad poetry because I think all teenagers have to go through that phase. I skipped that. Um, I came to writing at 30, uh, so I started writing you? bad poetry now. <laughs> no, it's like a rite of passage. We all have to go through it. Um, but yeah, I would say like in my early 20s, I started experimenting with doing a longer form uh, 
you know, like I have like loads of half finished novels from that time. And, and then I decided to go get a, a master's in creative writing. And my first novel grew out of a short story I did for that program. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing before you entered that program, um, was the grand idea to become a writer? Were you kind of tinkering with other things? Did you have other hobbies you were also doing? No, the main hobby was always writing. Uh-huh. I mean, I think if, if you talk to anyone and you ask them to say one thing about Layla, they would say she's a writer. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that's kind of all I was ever really, really great at in terms of, of creative, creative endeavors. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, always, it was always about writing more than anything. Yeah. And I always had this idea of I want it to be on a bookstore somewhere, you know? And yeah, I mean, in a bookstore it, rather. Yeah, you could probably see the guitar behind my head. I mean, I start, I, I've been playing guitar since I was you know, 10 years old, but I've been reading that whole time. And I kind of came to writing the same way I came to playing music was just if someone else could do it, I could do it too. Um, we've talked to a couple of different yeah. authors who have gone to programs and who haven't gone to programs. We've heard different variations of their you know, thoughts on it. Um, do you think it helped you to become a better writer? Do you think it was something you needed to do in order to become the writer you are today? I mean, I, I think for me, yes, it was definitely helpful because, you know, in Kuwait, I didn't come from, <clears throat> we don't really have this kind of institutionalized developed system of, you know, uh, writing as something you can teach, you know, Mm -hmm. so we didn't, uh, we didn't have, you know, writing courses in college or creative writing courses that you could take outside of a collegial environment. You know, we didn't have writing groups, just like, Mm -hmm. you know, circles that you could join for feedback. There is that now, but when I was coming up, there was nothing like that. So I really felt like I needed a master's program to kind of get into a structure and a discipline to get feedback from other writers. Um, I felt like I really needed that boost, Mm -hmm. you know? So for me, it was, it was incredibly beneficial. Were people encouraging you early on? Were your, was your family super encouraging of your writing? Yeah. 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 They've always, they've always been very, very encouraging and saying, you know, like go for it. And, and, you know, you say, I want to quit my job to go get a master's in creative writing. People kind of look at you like, what's, what's the matter with you? You're not right in the head, but my parents were like, go for it, do it. Why not? I, I quit a corporate finance job to join a band at the age of 23. So that's what I did except for writing. Yeah. It's intre- I mean, you <laughs> I know, was in finance for like five years, man. I mean, uh, I, I don't it's, it's soul yeah. destroying. It's soul destroying is what it is. I, have you been in New York city? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you multiple if you drive over the George Washington Bridge, the town you enter is Fort Lee, New Jersey, and I worked at a yeah. building right at the entrance of the GW Bridge for uh, three years, and I was just yeah, that's a whole other fucking podcast. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. I, I asked I asked that because some people, you know, some people have a lot of encouragement. Some people have absolutely no encouragement from anyone. Um, yeah. you know, some authors, I, I won't name any, but you know, it was a real struggle for them in the beginning mm-hmm. because they had no one in their lives being like, Oh, you should yeah, do this. You know, you go ahead. Yeah. And, but that's, it, it's great that you have parents that were super into it. I mean, were your parents big readers or was just, they were just happy that you were, happy? uh, my, my mom is a huge reader. So I definitely got my reading from her. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of my tastes early on when I was a kid were influenced by her. My dad is not really um, a reader, mm-hmm. but he was always very supportive of, of what I wanted to do. And, and I think you do need that because it is, 
it is tough and there's a lot of rejection involved in writing, you know, so it's, it's, it's nice to be able to have someone at your back saying, you know, they say you, they, they don't like it, but I do. <laughs> you sure, know? Yeah. Um, I got a, re- I got a rejection yesterday for a short story. So I'm well aware of the rejections. Um, that's a running theme. Yeah, I got one last week. It happened. There it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, we had Janet Fitch on, I don't know if you know Janet Fitch. Um, and yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. White yeah. Oleander. Exactly. And we were saying, we were having a great discussion about rejections and my first, I wrote a novella. It came out in February of last, you know, last year, and mm. that re- it got rejected seventy three times. And what wow. Fitch was saying that she has received so many rejections before White Oleander that she was able to wallpaper an entire wall of her to her wall. <laughs> well, that's uh, back when rejections were actually like on paper, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> so, well, uh, if we're talking about that, let's just go down that rabbit hole. Um, how were you, how did you first deal with the, those rejections? I mean, was that a demoralizing thing? Did you think what you were writing was the greatest thing ever? Well, I mean, let me ask you, do you think the rejection is more demoralizing than crickets? Because I got just like crickets for so long where there was just no response, I'm not happy, a yes or a no. Yeah, I'm happy you asked that question. It's interesting. Again, my experience has been you're not really you're querying the agent, but most of the times you're querying the agent's assistant. Um, and it kind of right. has to get through that first level. And my thing is, yeah, I I rather get the rejection than crickets. Um, yeah. To me, yeah, yeah cause I got a lot of crickets. Yeah, okay, yeah, I mean, you're coming at it from a different angle than I am. I'm an outsider, right? I didn't go to any MFA program. <laughs> you know, I toured in bands <gasps> for years, um, so I'm coming at it from okay. a totally different angle. And for me, when I got the rejections, I was stoked because to me, it meant right. I pierced, I pierced the armor. Like I got yeah. through to whatever you know, gatekeeper. There, you were, you were worthy. You were worthy of a response. Something. Um, and I'm also not, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I also came prepared, right? I gave them a fully edited manuscript. You know, I wasn't, you know, I gave them a query, you know, yeah. thing. Um, but again, I had to teach myself how to do all that. Did you have Mm-mm-mm. people helping you out with that stuff when you were querying? No, 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 no. The, the master's program is definitely deficient or my master program was in that regard. We weren't given those kinds of practical skills in mm-hmm. terms of querying and you know writing a synopsis and who to pitch and yeah. god synopsis i mean is there a worse exercise in the world you have um, to, yeah you have to you have awful. to you have to take your entire novel that you spent years writing and try yeah. to describe it in a paragraph <laughs> yeah it's like sure i'll i'll take these eighty thousand words and give it to you in 700 words that's totally easy crazy it's crazy uh, um, so, but it's, it's yeah. like, I mean, you're just talking to you for 20 minutes. It seems like you're a pretty optimistic person. So, I mean, you know, when, when you did, how was that process when you first started doing it? When was that novel finished? When did you feel comfortable with it? Well, I mean, it depends on which one we're at, we're talking about. Well, Are we talking the about the first novel? Cause novel. That's, yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, let's see, how can I put this? I finished that one or the first draft of it rather in 2015 and that's when I started querying it. Uh, I didn't actually sign with an agent until two years later, okay. two years and countless queries later. Um, and then after that, things happened pretty quickly. So after I signed with her, HarperCollins in the UK bought the book like by that summer. So within, within like four months of her subbing it, uh, they bought it. Mm-hmm. So, so it was like nothing happened for a long time and then things quickly happened. Well, let me ask you this. So for those first two years, what made you not want to give up on the project? 
Um, it was a combination of things because I definitely put it down sometimes. So like I would go through a burst of querying for maybe three or four months and then, you know, would get crickets or maybe the odd rejection. And then I would get deflated for, huh. you know, two or three months. And then I would get hyped up again and start querying another time, you know, but I had pretty much put that novel away after two years and was working on other things. Cause I had in those two years, I had edited it and gotten some feedback on it from people and mm -hmm. redrafted and you know what you have to do. But I had started getting to the point where maybe I should just move on and start querying a different project. Um, and then Trump got elected mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and you know, that's when I, I put out another, um, a set of pitches, you know, because uh, a bunch of lit agents were doing an open call for Muslim voices. Um, and so I figured, you know what, I'll, I'll try one more time and, and send it out. And that's uh -huh. going to happen. Um, so when you're getting those rejections, you're getting, getting those crickets, you said you were also working on some other things as well. Are you the kind mm -hmm. of writer, do you only work on one project at a time or can you do multiple things? If it's a novel, I tend to be absorbed in the novel, mm -hmm. but if, the first draft of the novel is done and I'm just editing it and, and, you know, fiddling around with it, then I can, I can move on to other things. Uh -huh. But, um, other than that, you know, I might play around with some short stories or, you know, things of that nature, but I don't work on two long projects at the same time in are terms of drafting. Are you a big editor or a big drafter? Uh, no, I'm definitely an editor. Okay. So, yeah. so you do one draft and then that's the draft and you, you're working with just in that. Well, not necessarily. I mean, that, that draft can change, but, but I feel like once the draft is done, that means I've kind of told the story to myself and I know what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, during the editing process, it might be fixing that, but it also might be embellishing in it, uh, you know, embellishing on it and, and growing it and taking it, you know, in different directions. But it's, it's sort of like you've laid down the bones, like the of bones of the story are there. And it's done. Yeah. Um, we, we, on the podcast, we refer to it as word vomit in the sense that, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, just get the words onto the page. Yeah. Sure yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely not a perfection seeker in, in, when I'm drafting. When I'm mm -hmm. drafting, it's just like, I need to get the words down. I need to get this out of me onto exactly. a page. I need to tell myself the story, what's happening. And the editing is where, you know, the, the real hell begins is during the editing phase. If you if you if you can see this face, you're looking at someone who's been editing their first novel for two and a half years. I'm but I am at the very 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 end. Yeah. So uh, now yeah. I'm a little, a little happier. But man, it's interesting. You know, the draft thing is we it's weird, right? I do one draft and then I do draft one point one and then I do two. Oh two. man. We have we've had authors. You know, Elliot Ackerman was on. He retypes every single draft. No, that's. That sounds bad for the, for your health. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and it's it's interesting. You know, I kind of found my little routine. I need to wake up or whenever I'm going to start writing. I, I'll read three pages of what I worked on the day previous to kind of get me back yeah. into it. Um, but yeah, yeah. You know, he, my man Elliot, he every day he literally wow. He's, he's also he's an ex marine. Um, he's a he's an intense dude. Uh, Very disciplined. Very disciplined. Yeah, well, so <laughs> discipline, I'm pretty disciplined. Are you a fairly disciplined author, writer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fairly, write, fairly disciplined. A, a lot more. Sorry. Do you, well, do you write at most like the same time every day, or do you have a routine like that? Yeah, yeah. My routine was a lot more rigid before I started my PhD program. I'm uh, about 
two years into a PhD right now. So that's kind of sucking up a lot of my mental energy and my routine has gotten disrupted. But yeah, it used to be that, you know, I would get up in the mornings, especially on the weekends, and I would, you know, be at the coffee shop by seven in the morning and I'd write until one or two, like nonstop. And that, that was the routine. Uh, it, what, you know, we're talking about this before and you mentioned it before. You also have to be a good reader to be a good writer. Yeah. With absolutely. all that stuff going on. I mean, are you even finding the time to read at this point? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's where the bulk of my time is going, to be honest. Oh, really? Reading. Okay. It's, yeah. It's more, it's more reading than writing at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting. I mean, do you ever, do you ever grapple with that? I mean, if you're deep into a project, you, will you put your reading for pleasure on hold? Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. But I mean, w- writing a first draft for me tends to happen in a very quick spurt of energy. So yeah, my yeah. my first novel, the first draft was done in seven months. Okay. This novel, Silence, is a sense the first draft was done in four months. Okay. And so during those four months, I maybe read one or two novels, you know, just for me. Uh-huh. Because, uh, you know, you get I get so consumed with what I'm doing that I don't want anything else. I don't want any other influences around me. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. But then during the editing process, it's not a big deal during the editing. I'll just start reading again. Well, do you feel like if you're in the process of writing that first draft and you might be reading something else, do you feel like that reading will influence your writing? Uh, Not in a direct way, but to be honest, I might feel inadequate. (laughs) <laughs> in my writing <laughs> you know what I mean because I'll be re- and and, pe- and people like I, sometimes I talk to readers and they don't really kind of understand that you know it takes a lot of hard fucking work to get that novel that you actually pick up in a bookstore like a like when, when, when you buy my book or whatever this is like the 12th or 13th draft of this thing like a lot of work has gone into it and you know when you're in the weeds drafting and you read something that is like really meticulously plotted and elegantly drafted and put together, you're just like, oh, why am I even bothering? You know, like, like why bother? I'm not like, this is, what am I doing? So. It's like, it's like I, I, I'm sure there's a medical term for it. I need to Google it. But it's like, if you ever say the, you know, a word, like the word fork and you say it yeah. over and then all of a sudden it just loses, it literally loses its meaning. Yeah, yeah. I'll be like that in, in when I'm editing. I'll I'll read a paragraph for 30 minutes, then I'll I'll step back. I'm like, what the fuck am I even doing? Like I don't yeah. even, like the commas don't even make sense after all. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I again, I didn't. You know, I had to teach myself the discipline of like, all right, step back, mm-hmm. take a walk, do something yeah. else. Because with writing, it's not an immediate thing. There's no immediate gratification for me as a writer. It's more about like, you know, as a musician, if I play something on my guitar, I can get an automatic response, mm-hmm. right? From a listener or from whoever's in the yeah. room. But yeah, with writing, I mean, you know, it's not necessarily doubt, but yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. If, if I'm writing and I'm reading Cormac McCarthy at the same time, <laughs> what's the point? Yeah, it can be very demoralizing. Why would anyone want to read my book over the road? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, so when that first book came out, what was your life like then? Were you, again, were you in school? Were you busy? Were you kind of thrown into a different occupation of sorts? Um, I, I, I was... I was just about, no, I was finishing up my job. I was teaching at a private college in Kuwait. Um, 
and and my book came out in the spring of 2019 and then in the fall I was starting my PhD program so I was yeah. kind of in the transition period of leaving work and starting the PhD uh-huh and then yeah. I mean the world shut down um Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had some authors, I, I'm going to call you a pre COVID author because <laughs> your book came out before the pandemic. My book came out the week of the pandemic. Um, and we had some authors come on and it's interesting. The authors who have come on now with the new books coming out right now, um, yeah. how I, I applaud them. Um, I don't want to name any names, but you know, people can listen back to the episodes, but some people are doing some really interesting things in order to mm -hmm. promote their books right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything is virtual and it's just such a weird environment to be in, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm really interested when I can start doing the podcast in person because um, yeah. I've done 50 of these already and I haven't yeah. met any of my guests in person. <laughs> um, it's I mean, be yeah, it's hard. It's hard, you know, and especially if you're a debut writer, like, uh, like at least with my debut, I got to have like the big thing. I went yeah. to London. We have a big yeah. launch for it and... And, you know, so much of these launch events, it's not just about the event itself. It's about talking to people, mm -hmm. people coming up to you afterwards and asking you about the book, you know, wanting you to sign the book, yeah. networking with other people, other writers. You know, it's, it's, it's about so much more than the event. And I feel like that is not translating well in, in, you know, these COVID events that, that we've been having now. It's just mm -hmm. not the same vibe. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you know, again, I, I'm new to the book world and from an outsider, from an outsider's point of view, you know, the book world can be a little, not standoffish, but a little stuck up and, you know, and people, <laughs> people are into their own vibes and it's, it's all good. Um, my goal with the podcast is to kind of come in like a bull into a China store. You know what I mean? Like yeah. here's obnoxious Jewish guy from New Jersey, but he likes to mm -hmm. read and write. Um, and it's, it's interesting getting these authors to open up. Some of these people, I feel like I've, I've asked some of these questions and they've never been asked these questions before. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, because Well, like, maybe oh, that's because you're not coming from the bookish environment. So you're not asking the questions mm -hmm. that we're used to getting. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm really coming as a fan. Um, at yeah. the end of the day, you know, I'm even if I even if I become the next Stephen King, I'll I'll always feel like a fraud. Um, <laughs> you know, it really makes no difference. So that first book came out. Did that really give you the confidence to kind of just get that second book going? I mean, were you like, I already got this shit down? I mean, well, you know what, you're you should write your second book before the first book even comes out, which is exactly what I did, and my editor was so happy about that. <laughs> great advice. That's great advice. Yeah. I mean, I finished uh, Silence of the Sense in 2017. So that was wow. two years before my first book came out. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so well, it was already done and they had bought it before it even came out. What was that like sitting on that for a couple of years? It was tough. It was tough because, you know, you're talking about, like I was talking about the pact we made, which I had written in 2015. So it was like four years old in my head and yeah. I was hyped up about silence because that's what I was working on. And that was like in my head. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I had to kind of revisit who I was as a writer back then and what I was thinking about. And, you know, it, it's, it's like revisiting different versions of yourself sure. in a way. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating how you can spend years working on a project. It comes out a years goes by and you can't even remember the first name of the protagonist. <laughs> Oh yeah. That, yeah, that does happen, and it's embarrassing. Or like certain biographical details that someone will mention, and I'm like, wait, what? Didn't I yeah. cut that out? I yeah. thought I cut that out in like my my 
eleventh go round or something. You and, know? And, yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like authors when they have to when they're forced to talk about their works from 10, 15, 20 years ago, it yeah. must be so difficult because if you ask the Rolling Stones about, you know, exile on Main Street, there's so much history behind, you know, photos and you know, the history yeah. speaks for itself. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but with and it, authors, and it kind of kinda, takes on its own life kind of separate to you as well it really does you know um we're talking right now even Shuggy bane that book is very popular i haven't mm-hmm. got it yet. i don't know if you read it but i mean i haven't read it no yeah yeah you know i mean it seems to be like it's it's how some of these books just infiltrate popular culture um and they really just split it wide open um mm. and you know I, I i that's what i love about books um that's really what draws me to it is just how influential some things really can be um mm. So when that second book, you know, the new book is called, you said Silence is a Sense, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that out yet or is it coming out soon? It comes out March 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, yeah. So what, any, what, what are your plans to help promote that? I mean, who knows what, are you guys still on lockdown in, in the UK? We are. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like an indefinite lockdown over here. Yeah. I think we got news in California. They're going to lift it here. I think this week. Um Again. Oh, you guys have been in lockdown oh, in, in San Francisco. I mean, yeah, California got whooped. Um, no, I, I've heard the news, but I didn't know that you guys actually locked down. I thought it was just more like, that's eh, fine. Yeah, no, uh, I'm not. I'm not a political person, um, yeah. uh, so I won't speak politics. But all I all I know is my ignorance tells me uh, the governor has opened the door. He's like, do it mm. now. So that's what's mm-hmm. happened. You know, again. I'm not a po- political person, um, but you know, people forget that it's called the United States right. of America. Um, yeah. and, you know, that's, that's one of the great things of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and at sometimes it might also be one of the bad things about America. That's, that's another sure. podcast, but yeah, I mean, yeah. right now it's just state to state. You can go to Alabama, Florida and go to a football mm-hmm. game at 50,000 people. Yeah. Yeah, something similar to that was happening over here in the UK where, you know, Scotland and England and Wales couldn't really get, you know, on the same page in terms of how they were responding to it. And so, you know, at one point, like Scotland shut the borders with England and said, you know, you can't come in. And then parts of England were like, oh, you can't come over here. And it all just sort of uh, fragmented rather than having a a unified, a unified approach to it's things. Insane. You know? I mean, um, I don't know if you know who Lawrence Wright is. Um, he's an author. Yeah. 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 He's, I've read, he's, I've read stuff. I, I, well, if you're a fan, you need to read the end of October. Um, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the one where he predicts the plague? Uh, basically the, about what is the virus. right now? <laughs> yeah. 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 I know it's a bit, it's a bit scary. It's, I mean, but you know, the research he did, I mean, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he nailed it. Yeah. Unbelievable! I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Um, yeah. It's unbelievable. Okay, so well, let, let's get back to our, our world. Uh, so the new book comes out in March. Um, what are your plans going forward? I mean, do you have the third book already finished? Oh God, no! You sound like my editors now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me that. It's a dreaded question. Um, I'm I'm in the middle of a PhD, so so all of my writing energy has been directed towards getting my dissertation done. Of course, uh, I'm I'm playing around with a couple of ideas for the next novel, but I haven't really settled on anything that I'm like full steam ahead with. I'm just yeah. like tinkering around with a few stuff. I mean, even to the, I mean, are you still trying to get at a keyboard every day, even just to get a couple of minutes in, or is it you're really, oh, just, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. Especially, uh, especially on the weekends, I try to detach from my PhD work on the, on the weekends and work on some other things. Yeah. 
Um, so whether it's a short story or, you know, tinkering around, like I said, but it's hard when what you're doing through the week demands so much of your writing energy and your mental capacity to write, Yeah, you know, versus, you know, doing a nine to five job that doesn't, that doesn't require that part of your brain. Sure. But like writing a PhD requires too much of my writing brain. <laughs> you yeah, know what I no, mean? No, totally. I, you're, you're speaking of that for people who aren't, who don't see the podcast. I'm wearing, I own this rough, rough pause. I own the dog walking business. And oh. this, yeah, and this allows me to write in the morning and write at night. Yeah. And at the same time, I, you know, I was very well aware of this. I'm not exhausting myself mentally. Physically, I'm exhausting yeah. myself. But it'll, yeah. I mean, I'm in the woods all day. I, I, I'm writing in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. Uh, walking is definitely really good for kind of getting the, the writing juices flowing. It's, oh, yeah. it's when you need to use that part of your brain to write something. Like when I was in finance, I was doing economic and market research reports. Like that was my job. I was a research analyst. So literally my entire work day was reading and writing, reading and writing. And it's like, I can't go home and apply that same amount of energy to writing a novel. I just can't. And when you're not getting paid all, for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody ever gets paid unless you're like Stephen King or something, but yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked about that on the podcast too. Um, <laughs> you know, again, I'm all new to it. Um, the publishing world seems to run fairly parallel to the record business. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the sense of, well, not necessarily economically, but in the sense of, you know, there's agents, you know, mm-hmm. labels, the publisher, they're the ones yeah. who puts out the physical product. They're the ones who are pushing it. They're the ones sure. who are investing in it, you know, and, um, yeah. I, well, that, that, that's what my novels I'm writing about a fictional rock and roll band. So I'm deep in this world right now. And have it, you read David Mitchell's new one, Utopia Avenue? It's, it's sitting on my, where it's right there. Yeah. Um, it's so good. I, I, I picked it up because I almost had a heart attack. Um, I've spent three years writing <laughs> a book about a, a, a band, thinking to myself, well, no yeah. one's really written any good books about bands. And then as soon as I, I, I hit up my editor, she's like, have you read Utopia Avenue? And I'm like, what the hell is that? It's so good. It's, uh, my book, it takes place in a different place, different time, different everything. Good, 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 um, good. Yeah. yeah. That one's interesting. His writing is a little difficult for me to get into. Um, mm. It's pretty, you know, just he's a British writer. So he's very, yeah. you know, um, but yeah. I was he's I, one of my faves. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, he's a, he's a great writer, um, yeah. but he, he, I was going into it, making sure I'm like, pick, I'm like, okay, this is how he writes about gear. This is how he writes about the shows. This is sure. how he writes about groupies. I got yeah. it to make sure I wasn't ripping him off without right. knowing it. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's, there's any number of directions that you could take it. And I always, I always think that it's, it's really cool to write about music, but it's also really difficult, you know, to try and capture the way music makes you feel in prose. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't know if David Mitchell's ever been in a band. Um, I'm, I mean, I've been, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I lived in a van in for 10 years. Um, Uh, I'm writing about, I mean, you know, this, this book isn't for everyone in the sense that, you know, you need to know like what a Marshall amplifier is, you know, things like mm. I'm very detailed, um, which hopefully will kind of, you know, but this isn't about me. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Alila, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I always kind of end these podcasts asking two specific questions. Um, one, are you a social media person? Are you on Twitter, Instagram, anything like that? I am. Yeah. By 
by force rather than by desire most of the time. <laughs> but, okay, well, then that's two questions. One, what is your handle? So if, if you want people to follow you. Yeah, on Twitter, it's uh, Layla underscore Alamar. So my first name underscore last name. Um, and then it's the same on Instagram, but add author at the end of my last name. Awesome. And then the part two of that is, do you find, you said kind of by force, uh, mm. I'm not good at Twitter, I'm good at Instagram. Uh, mm. Do you find you have maybe different personalities or different ways of approaching social media? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not so much on Instagram. I tend to be on Twitter more, wow. uh, even though Twitter is like a toxic hellscape of the worst of humanity, but like we're all on there together. So I guess it's fine. <laughs> like the Titanic, <laughs> but, we're all going down, baby. Yeah, we're all going down. So we might as well have some memes while we do it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm usually on Twitter mainly to uh, talk about stuff that concerns my writing or concerns my PhD. And there's a lot of overlap between the two because my PhD is about Arab women's fiction and I'm an Arab woman writing fiction. So there tends oh. to be a lot to talk about. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, and then the last, the last question I always ask, uh, where are people buying your books from? What bookstores do you like to rep? Oh, wow. I mean, always go for indie. I think go for your local stores. Um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't know anywhere in the States because I've never, like, I've, it's been so long since I've been there. It's been at least over 10 years since I've been to the States, I think. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you haven't even been here during the whole, you weren't here during the Trump era. Oh, God, no. Crazy. Why would I? Well, no. Uh, well, I, I, well that, that's a separate question, but it's just you, that time frame happens to overlap with the Trump era. Um, crazy. 10 years. Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any plans to come back to the States? I mean, I always say I do, but um, I just, t I tend to find myself more, like I feel more at home in Europe uh, and in the UK, to be uh, frank. I mean, my family is from South Texas, so like I, I think that's all I need to say in in conjunction with the Trump era. So a there's lot. there's not a lot, yeah. There's there's not a lot that's kind of copacetic in that in that regard. So, um, you know, even like ten years ago when I was in the states, it was always on the East Coast. So I was in New York or DC, sometimes Boston. Have you have I've you been ever to been to San, San Francisco? Francisco. Yeah, I've been to San Francisco a few times. I did a summer course at Berkeley. Oh, okay, great. Uh, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in 2003, 2004, something like yeah. that. Loved it. It's such yeah. a great city. So beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the Bay Area is par. I mean, again, I'm from I'm from northern New Jersey, so the Bay Area is par. I've never actually been to Jersey. You're not missing much. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> if it, I, I will say this, and I, I will get back, I will get support. New Jersey, northern New Jersey has better pizza and bagels than all of New York City. I'm just going to say really? it like it is. Wow. It's what I it mean, is. That's, that's quite a statement. It's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I was born in Queens. My parents were from the Bronx. I went to school in Manhattan. North Jersey yeah. has the best Italian food and pizza. Layla, this has been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Thank you so much. For Thank you for having me. This was oh, fun. Yeah. yeah, this is a blast. And I'm sure we'll, we'll catch up on social media and all that stuff. And uh, we'll post yeah. all the links. And yeah, and best of luck to everything in the future. Loving it. You too. Most Good definitely. luck with your book. Thank you so much. And maybe, maybe, maybe you'll be talking about it one day. <laughs> yeah. We'll do like a reverse interview. There it is, Layla. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.